When you see that picture behind me, there's probably a word that comes to mind, one that people have liked to use in reference to that building, but it's that of a church. We see a church behind us, and we think, okay, there's something that is in, is useful. It has many different variations on its purposes when it comes to our world. If we see that picture behind us, that's something that brings some with it some uses or some image. But as Christians, we understand that that building behind us is not the church. The church is the body of Christ, those who have named the name of Christ as a unit. That is a body, it is a family that belongs to Christ. But far more people have looked at the church and they have all sorts of uses on what a church is supposed to do, what a church is supposed to be, or has all these different definitions of what's the purpose of the church. And that's the question I would like us to consider tonight. What is the purpose of the church? What's the reason for having this institution? Why was it founded in the first place? What is it needed for? We like to use the phrase, if God could have done it any other way, would he not have done it? God is all-powerful, so surely he can do it however he thinks is fit. So why did he choose this way? What is the necessity of the church? What is our reason for being here? What is our purpose as a unit, as a family? It's going to be simple tonight. Again, we got two points. First of all, we're going to consider that the purpose of the church is to save the lost. To save the lost. I think of that picture behind me, and that's about as lost as you can get. <laughs> it's dark, it's raining, you're in a boat, and there is no land around you. <laughs> you're lost. You have no hope on where you're going. You have no idea what's on the horizon. You have no idea what's behind you, what's to the right of you, what's to the left of you. But that's how so many people are in reference to their spirituality, in reference to where they're going in eternity. They don't know where it's going to be. I heard this phrase so many times. They say, I don't know where I'm going, but I'll find out when I get there. Think about a hopeless way of living. If I were to get on the interstate tomorrow and just start driving, my intention is not just to end up wherever. I have a place in mind. I don't know if I have enough gas to get to anywhere. I don't know if I have enough money to pay for the gas to get to anywhere. So there's always a purpose in mind. But when we go throughout our lives, this is the one place where we rarely actually have a goal. What's its destination? Now the reality is, for those who think of it in a worldly sense, they understand that life ends in the grave. And for them, that's their only goal. It's just, I'm going to get as much as I can before I get to that point. And again, how hopeless a life is that? It's lost. Directionless. Have nowhere to go, nowhere to be. As Christians, we have the opportunity to offer them a lighthouse. A way of guiding them to shore. A way of saying, you don't have to be in this state anymore. You don't have to live the life that you've been living. All the suffering, all the frustrations, all the fears, all the stress, that doesn't matter. You don't have to live that way. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to show them a book that has been written for us to study, has been written in an inerrant fashion, written by someone that is greater than us, and tells us all the things that we should do to live a faithful life and a good life. You see, we have so many self-help books out there right now that you could go pick up on. You could probably buy that for a dollar and a half at some store. And it's going to give you what they say is the secret to life. And they might even have that... Title on the front, The Secret to Life. And you read it and you're like, you sound like the other 12 books that are on the shelf over there. 
the secret to life. Everyone likes to come up with their own way. If you do this, you'll live a good life. You'll live a happy life. You'll live a fulfilled life. And the ironic thing is that so many of those books, so many of these people who are trying to be self-help gurus, you know where they oftentimes end up? Pick a religion. Pick a religion. Pick something to follow after. So even those who are trying to help you without even using the Bible, they have to come back to you need something. You need somebody to follow. In fact, Napoleon Bonaparte, the dictator of the ancient French or the older French Empire, he had a statement that he said, religion is what holds society together. Without religion, society falls apart. Now, he did not believe religion wholeheartedly himself. In fact, when he was supposed to be crowned by the Pope, he took the crown from the Pope and crowned himself the emperor. Talk about arrogance. But he, even that immoral man, understood religion is necessary. Now, that's a dirty word in American society today, religion. We like to say, well, I want God, but I don't want religion. I want God, but I don't want his church. God says, you can't get to me without my church. You see, oftentimes in our world and in our day and age, we like to judge institutions based on some of its representatives and what it in of itself represents. And we say, well, that, if that institution has hypocrites in it, then obviously that institution is evil. Well, not necessarily. You and I can easily go across this country and go find a church that has Christ on the door and we find out that that's the last thing they're thinking about. We can find that today. But that doesn't make what God created any less important. You see, God's main priority, Christ's main priority in particular, was to save the lost. In Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, the Lord talked or was talking to some of the people that he was discussing salvation with, and he says, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his whole purpose. In fact, Christ even described himself as the great physician. He said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I don't go to try to get medical treatment. I don't schedule an MRI. I don't schedule radiation treatments when I don't have a sickness. I don't need that. In fact, that would probably do more harm than it would good. See, I need a physician. I need a medical, or medical care when I have a need, when I have a problem. But friends, we all understand that sin is a universal problem. Everyone has suffered from its effects. Everyone has partaken in its evil at one point or another. All of sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. We understand the seriousness behind this. We understand what we need to do. We need to cure that problem. And that was God's whole mission. Imagine how evil it would be for God to say, sin is a problem. Every one of you has sinned. Sin brings about death. Figure out how to solve it. Think about how evil that would be. But the world likes to say, well, that's what we wish he would have done. We wish he would have told us, figure it out for yourself, because then we can do whatever we want and get to heaven. But God understands there's only one way to salvation. Do you think people are, are frustrated whenever they are met with a medical doctor and he says, this is the only way to get rid of your cancer? There's probably some out there, but most people probably aren't going to look at the doctor and say, well, I don't like that way, so I'm just going to go home. The doctor says, this is the only way we can solve this. If you will do this treatment, it will solve the problem. 
Well, I don't want that. That's uncomfortable. That makes me unhappy. That's going to take me out of doing the things that I want to do. I can't eat what I want to, therefore I can't do that. I don't want to do that. See, we become, in our world, far too me-centric. It was discovered in science many, many years ago that we have a heliocentric or earth-centered universe. But for most people, they don't believe in that. They believe the world revolves around them and them alone. See, the reality is, friends, we are about, in history's concept, as insignificant as a grain of dust. History comes and goes. Even the greatest people of the ancient days that would have made nations tremble and kings quiver, we might even not know their names today. We read in scriptures about nations such as the Hittites, a very powerful and wicked nation in its day and age. There was a period of time where people didn't even believe they existed because they didn't have any archaeological evidence for it. We found that evidence, but they weren't even remembered. Our purpose is to try to seek and to save those who are lost. Is it true that there are some churches that don't follow God's example? Yes. Some have abandoned the way of Christ and they've instead taught the traditions of men rather than the Word of God. But as Christians, if we want to follow after the Word of God, if we want to be a church that saves souls, we first of all have to follow Christ's example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Don't try to follow anyone else. Remember he talked about in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says some of you are going around saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is it an accident that in chapter 11 he says, be followers of me as I also am of Christ? What's the implication there? If I'm not following Christ, what should you be doing? Not following me. You see, it's good to have examples. It's good to have people that we're following after and mimicking who have lived faithful lives in Christ, but we better be careful who we make our object lessons. We better be careful who we look at as our mentors because some might be pretending. Some may not actually be following Christ. That's why we have His Word that I can look, I can check, I can say, okay, is this person following after God? is what he's doing lining up with Scripture. You see, we talked uh, several weeks ago in Bible class, we talked about how back in that day and age you would follow after a mentor, and that mentor was your teacher. You would see how they lived their life, how they interacted with people, and you would try to say, okay, I want a life like him, so I'm going to mimic it. I'm going to see what he did. When Christ came, he was a teacher. People followed him and taught how he lived but they also backed it up with Scripture. I'm reminded of the book of Acts where Paul wrote that the, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What things? The things that Paul was teaching. The things that Paul was showing to them, they were checking to see, is this actually true? Is this actually what God wrote about? Remember when Philip talked to the Ethiopian eunuch, what did he teach him? Prophecies of Christ. From where? Isaiah. He sat down, opened the books, and he read with him and told him about the coming of Christ. He says, you see these prophecies that you hold as fact? Christ fits all of them. 
Christ was the actual Messiah, the one that was coming, the one that you can put your trust and faith in. He is the one. We follow Christ's example on how he lived, on how he taught. We try to reach those who are lost to bring them to Christ. Everything that we do has a purpose. Or it should. There are more churches in this world concerned with numbers, attendance, and social aspects than the Word of God. There are far more of them. Everything that we do, we should have a purpose behind. Can fellowship be a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely it's a good thing. We read in Acts chapter 2 of the people gathering together and they fellowshiped with one another and it was a wonderful thing, an encouraging time for them. But what we do as the church should have purpose. Are we trying to reach the souls that are lost? Are we trying to be benevolent to those who are sick and in need? It wasn't an accident that the scripture reading tonight came from Acts chapter 2, the latter part, because that really does summarize how the early church operated. What did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and in prayers. They worshipped. They taught. They had all things in common. They helped those who were in need. They were benevolent. They cared for those who needed help. And it says the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. Those they were talking to, those they were reaching out to, those they were trying to show and say, hey, this is the life that I'm living. You can have this too. Are we excited? Are we excited about what we've found? Are we miserable because we don't truly understand it? You see, the world looks at what we have and they say, that's miserable, that's too restrictive, I can't do the things that I want. But the reality is, it's a far better life than anything else we can find. Can we name one thing that comes from the Word of God that has a negative consequence to it. Now somebody said, well, you won't be liked. By who? The ones who are following after God, they're going to love you because we're on the same page. They say, well, I won't be popular. Okay, less scrutiny. <laughs> well, I say, well, I can't do all these things that are fun for the world. Do those things have negative consequences? Do those things help you in the long run? You see, I can look at the Word of God and I can mimic my life after Him and He's not going to tell me anything that is going to hurt me in the long run. It might make things difficult in the short term. It might make things difficult severing relationships that I've had for a long time. That might be painful. But in the end, will I not be better off for it? If someone is not going to go with me through my life as a Christian and only going to hold me back, is that a relationship worth keeping? See him again in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, not to be in a position where I can't separate myself from those who are going to drag me away from God. Well, that sounds heartless, Josh. Why would I want to break relationships with people? Because our eternal soul is more important than anything else. Where we end up is far more important than anything else. Do we believe that? Is that our mission? Is that our purpose? But the other purpose is to build up the saints. 
I thought this picture was kind of interesting because you see how they're all having to work together to put it, put the pieces together to make it all fit. To me, it looks like a Jenga tower. I'm sure everyone else thought that. But it looks like a Jenga tower. But they're building it together. They're putting it together to make it stronger. You see the base there. It's a little bit stronger than the top at times, but we're filling in the gaps. We're making it function. See, the reality is, is that even the early church struggled with being faithful. There were difficult moments for them. Remember, these people didn't have a Bible they could open up and say, hey, let's go look at 1 Peter and see what he says in reference to this subject. They had to say, can someone write a letter to Peter? (laughs) Can someone get back to me on that? (laughs) But what's our attitude about it? Do we really look at this as building up or do I become offended when I'm told I'm wrong? I've said before, I want people checking me when I'm in the pulpit. I want people looking at their Bibles and saying, Josh, that's not what that said. (laughs) Or saying, Josh, that was exactly what it said. Good job. Why do I want that? Because I would rather have a moment of uncomfortableness than an eternity of suffering. I would rather have a moment where I'm not quite happy with how things worked out, but I can fix it and make it better. I hope that's how we all feel. Because that's the attitude that God told us was what he wanted. He wanted us to be a people that are willing to look at ourselves, to check ourselves. Paul even said, I buffet my body daily. Why? Lest at such time as I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was saying, I might, I might slip up. I might make mistakes. I want to be corrected. I want to be built up. I want to be strengthened. You see, building up is not always a pat on the back. You're doing great, bud. Sometimes it is. Because sometimes we need encouragement. But if I'm doing wrong, friends, the last thing I need is to be encouraged. The last thing I need is a pat on the back. Good job, buddy. I need correction. Correcting errors in our Christian walk is important. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Or Galatians chapter 6, excuse me. Galatians chapter 6. Here, Paul writing to the church in Galatia talking about this very subject here. Paul writing, again, he's describing this attitude that we should have and this mindset we should have toward one another. Starting in verse 1, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's our purpose as Christians? We have each other to help to strengthen each other, to build each other up, to understand when there's a problem because you might have a different perspective on things than I do. I might not see it. I might not see how I handled a situation incorrectly. That's why we have one another, all these different people working together with the same goal in mind. Now, that's the important part. If we all have the same goal, then we're all trying to be at the same place. If I have my own ulterior motives, my own agendas, my own hobby horses that I'm trying to further instead of the Word of God, the last place I'm going to be is in fellowship with my brethren. The last thing I'm going to be is connected in a part of that family because we lost the goal. We lost the mission. Let's look at James chapter 5. That's James chapter 5. Let's look at verse 19 in particular. James chapter 5, verse 19. 
James summarizing his entire book here, he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What's the purpose of the church? We're to save the lost. We're to reach those who are lost, but we are to help each other get to heaven. Friends, if that's not our goal, what are we doing? If our goal is not to help each other to grow more spiritually, what are we doing? We can have fun in the short term. We can make things happy in a social environment in the short term, but what's it going to be worth in the end if our mission is not to seek and to save those who are lost? We're also to support one another in moments of weakness. Moments of weakness. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 The Hebrews writer wrote, verse 23 in particular, he says, starting verse 22, excuse me, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Our mission is to help each other to grow more spiritually. To be strong in moments of difficulty. To stand true to the Lord when things aren't looking good. Because how much harder would it be to try to face it alone? To have to face the evils of this world, to have to face the backlash, the ridicule, the persecution, to face all of that alone. Imagine how much harder it would be. But as a church, as a body of Christ, we have one another to lean on in difficult moments. We have one another that we can promote to love and good works, even when that is the last thing we want to do. To build up the saints. But also to encourage good works in one another. It's easy to not do evil. It's much harder to do good. It's easy to be a Christian in the sense of I'm not going out and I'm not looking like an evil person. I'm not going out and trying to make myself appear like a sinner. But friends, inaction is just as bad. If I'm not doing anything, what am I doing at all? Remember what John wrote to the church in Laodicea. God said through the pen of John, he said, I would rather you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. It makes me sick. Not because I hate you, but because I can't stand a hypocrite. I can't stand the hypocrisy here. Do something. That was what his message was. He said, you're trying to hold on to the ways of the world and you're trying to hold on to me. That doesn't work. He says, pick a side. You know what's interesting about lukewarm water? It warms up cold water, yes. But it cools hot water. Friends, if we have a church of lukewarm Christians, we will cool the zealots down. 
And those who have an eagerness for the truth, an eagerness to do the Word of God, will lose that excitement. Do we still have that same excitement? Do we try to foster that? When someone is zealous and ready to go, do we build a fire under them or do we put ice in the water? What do we do? You see, we promote good works in one another. Not just doing things that are kind for one another. That's a wonderful thing, absolutely. Remember, that's what the first century church did, and we talked about that in Acts chapter 2, that they were doing good for one another. They were helping one another as they had need. But what else were they doing? They were teaching. They were going out and telling their neighbor, hey, I, I had access to this. Why don't you come with me? This is better than anything I've been able to find. Remember what day their church started on? The day of Pentecost. What was that crowd made of? Jews. Jewish people who had been under the old law for so long. And they say, all that was been, all that's been talked about, all that's been prophesied in the old law, everything we've had to learn from our youth, it came true. It's here. Come with me and see. Is that our attitude to the lost? When we look at this, do we see this as a good? Do we see this as something that's better than anything the world has to offer? And are we willing to tell everyone that we can about it? Do we have that zeal? That's one of the purposes of the church. That's why it's important that what we do, the things that we put together, the things that we do, the things that we show to others, they all have a purpose behind them. It's not just to do it. We don't live pointless lives. We point people towards God. We show the way. What's the purpose of the church? Yes, it's to seek and to save the lost, and yes, it's to build up the saints. This was God's plan from the beginning. This wasn't a backup plan. This wasn't something he came up with and said, well, we've got to call an audible. This is exactly what God had planned from the beginning to help to save the souls of men. What will you do with that tonight? Are you a member of his church? Are you a part of this family? Have you been one of those that's been reached? He makes the plan available for you so that you can be baptized into Christ. You can wash away all those past sins and live a faithful life in Christ. His plan is simple. We must hear the word, Romans 10, 17. Believe it to be true, John 8, 24. Upon believing that to be true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, Acts 17, 30. We leave all that life behind. We point towards something better. And based upon that repentance, that change of mind which brings a change of life, we're willing to confess Christ is exactly who he said he was. Christ is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And I'm going to follow after him my entire life. And based upon that confession, we can baptize you into Christ this very evening. Bearing that old man of sin, raised to walk in newness of life, leaving all those things behind, living a new life in Christ. But maybe you already became a Christian. Maybe you've already been baptized into Christ, and maybe you've been living as a Christian for a long time, but maybe you forgot your purpose. Maybe you got caught up in the motions of day-to-day -day life and forgot what it meant to be one of God's chosen people. He wants you back. He wants to renew that within you if you're willing to make the effort.
if you're willing to put forth what God has asked you to do. If you have any need this evening, don't hesitate. Don't wait for another day. Another day may not come. Come now as together we stand as we sing.